Hope you're checking out Plain English with Derek Thompson. Smart conversations about whatever is going on in the world, including uh, the mystery of America's missing baby formula, the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial, what's going on with the U.S. housing market, and I'm sure he's going to be covering what happened in Texas this week. We talk about it a little later, me and Joe House as well. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? little doubleheader, little NBA doubleheader, right? First half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time. That's usually about five o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at com slash courtside, LDA 21 and up. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network. Put up a new rewatchables on Tuesday night, the 40th anniversary of Rocky Three, one of the most rewatchable movies ever made. I broke it down with Cousin Sal and my buddy Gus Ramsey. Check that one out. If you want more basketball coverage, check out Ryan Marcillo's podcast, check out the Ringer NBA show, and check out the mismatch. So we are, as long as these basketball games are going, we will be going as well. Coming up on this podcast, Joe House and I are going to talk about Game 5, Celtics Heat, we're going to talk Warriors Mavs, then we're going to talk some real life stuff. And then after that, Michael Che from Saturday Night Live. First time he ever came on this podcast and uh, it was really fun to talk to him. So it's all next. First, our friends from Pearl Jam. All right, Joe House is here. We're taping this at 8.15 Pacific time. House is on East Coast time, staying up late. Celtics just finished off the heat. Huge second half. House, this is one of the worst conference finals I think we've ever seen. I'm delighted as a Celtics fan that my team is now up 3-2 with a chance to close out game six. But it's a combination of like the Walking Dead with, uh, you know, like the Kyle Lowry zombies out there. He's wandering around just going 0 for 6. Uh, or guys playing hurt, bricks. Miami was seven for 44 from three. We haven't had one good game in this series. It's been all double-digit wins. How is history going to remember this series? As the war of attrition that it, it, it indeed is, although I think depending on how Boston shows out, in the finals against Golden State, because I believe Boston is now going. Wow, to you're already sending us to the, the finals? NBA Jesus. finals. Oh, well, I mean, all, all of the percentages and odds are in favor of this. And you know, as a gambling man, I, I'm an odds guy now, Bill Simmons. Hmm. But uh, if the Celts show out well in the finals, 
And, you know, they, they have achieved kind of historical levels of, of defense, right? These yeah. incredible defensive numbers. That, that will be the predominant theme. And then you can look back at this series and say, yeah, Miami got dinged up over the course of it, but really the theme is the suffocating Boston defense. Right. Once, especially once Rob Williams came back. Yeah, this series puts some chest hair on the Celtics, win or lose. They still have to put Miami away in game six. It's going to be hard. I think Miami, especially if they're allowed to muck it up like they did in game three, they cannot be counted out. I think it would be hard for them to win two in a row. You go you go through the team. Lowry is a shell of himself. I have Lowry at, um, I think he's five for 23 for the series. The only to- bet I hit tonight was Lowry under 18 and a half points, rebounds, and assists. He had zero points, one <laughs> rebound, zero assists. He missed all six shots. He had three turnovers and he had five fouls. And Jackson and Van Gundy near the end, they were kind of talking in code about Spolster can't play him in game six. They're That's, basically saying, will, will Spo have to change up his lineups? And what they really meant was, will, will he actually bench Lowry and just play Gabe Vincent? See how that goes. Which is the right move. I mean, it, it's not controversial, is it? No, I think they got to figure that out. And then the Butler thing, Butler was four for 18. Um, he's lost his ability to kind of go by people. And the Celtics, I think, have figured out a circuit jerky thing. He's got no legs. He had no legs in game five either. My dad and I were talking about it. He he um, was minus 15 when he was out there. You think how great he was the first two games. And um, he's limping the finish line. But really, the big injury was the Tyler Hero injury. Yes. Because... As soon as they lost that, they lost kind of their freelancer. Everything's broken down, but this guy maybe either can create a shot or we can run him off a pick. He might be able to score eight points in a row. He might be able to carry us for a quarter. Once they lost that and then Butler was compromised and they're getting nothing from Lauer anyway, there's just nowhere to go. Like they were, they're playing Bam Adebayo as a point center down the stretch because it was kind of the only way they could get anything going in the basket. So... They've just, I think, run out of creators for a variety of it. They, the big thing with them is Lowry's going to be 37 next year. I don't see that situation getting better, right? No, no, no. This was, according to the script, when you when you did the series previews, everybody sor- circled the secondary scoring options for Miami as the, as the vulnerability. And what you wondered coming in was, are you going to get that that home court shooting variance from the secondary players like Struess, like Vincent, Oladipo, um, Caleb Martin, right? Uh, Duncan uh, Robinson, anybody. Yeah. So and and they, and they got it right in in game uh, two. They got it. Game so, or game one, one of game those games. One, yeah, right. game one. They got it. I, yeah. it's, it's 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 forever ago. It's all, all the bricks are merging into one giant, <laughs> fantastic, terrible brick. The, but. But that, well, that's, they had no room to spare. So Hero being out just kills them. And Oladipo, who carried them a little bit in game four yesterday, and then he just went off a cliff after that. It's pretty tough. I, I think if you're the Celtics and you're looking at this, where you start the series, Horford has, cor- Horford has COVID, you lose. Is that smart. confirmed? Well, or whatever happened. I mean, he didn't play game one. It was some Illness. sort of. Protocols, yeah, illness. exposure. Yeah. yeah. Um, they lose Smart. Smart tonight was one for five 
he was okay. He was in the right spots, but he didn't look like Marcus. Like he wasn't no. flying around the same way. And then the Rob Williams piece where he just doesn't play game three, you know? And then it's like he's in game four and he looks good. And then all of a sudden he comes out. He played, let's see, 27 minutes tonight, 10 rebounds and was all over the place. I think he's actually been the difference in the series because I don't feel like Miami has figured out a way to handle it when he's on the floor. All the defensive possession numbers for the Celtics are phenomenal when he's on there. Did you notice Ime did a little trick to start the third quarter? He started Grant Williams because in the first half, they played P.J. Tucker as like the backup five. So he starts Grant Williams with Horford. And then brings Time Lord in with like, I don't know, five minutes left in the third quarter. So basically they had to keep Bam on the floor the whole time. They couldn't play P.J. Tucker if Bam was going to be the, uh, I mean, if uh, Robert Williams was going to be center. It was a little small adjustment, but he has made some really good adjustments for a rookie coach in this series. I've yeah, been I mean, for, for sure. And, and you know, he, he gets the credit for stumbling upon um, the, the hidden gem that Robert Williams was in, and has become. You know, yeah, back in, in, the, in the winter. That, that's it. He, he found it. The homie Kirk Goldsberry tweeted out sometime in the third quarter, uh, the Heat were 0 for 10 when Robert Williams was the primary co- contest Oof. on, on uh, anybody that he was matched up against. So that, that kind of emphasizes the point. Well, the other thing, the other thing, um, there's some good stats that were out there. In the first half, Derek White was five for five and every other Celtic was six for 25. So he's done this now. He did in the first quarter game four. And then in this first half, he was really good tonight. It wasn't quite the Derek White game, but I thought that was his best all around game. Also allowed them to uh, not have to play um, Marcus Smart as much. Yeah. So they had Smart at 24 minutes and White at 29 minutes, which is a, a preferred balance because the 41 minutes that we got out of Derek White in game four were not preferred if you had he started the, Celt- to tail the Celtics off. team over. Right. <laughs> I say, He's the team over killer. He really, your, your dad had it right. It's, it's heckle or jide. Heckle or jide white. I mean, he, the doc he, has it. It was on the money. I don't know why you killed the doc for that. He's Dr. Heckle. He um, is Dr. Heckle. Haral Bob texted me that Miami's starting backcourt has one made field goal in the last two games. Struess and Hero. I mean, uh, Struess and uh, Lowry. And what's crazy about that is Struess makes the game-winning, kind of game-extending shot in game three. This yes. coming around the corner, contested 26-footer, down uh, up one, the crowd's going bonkers, and he just nails it. And I think he, I don't think he's done anything since. And they've been torturing him on both ends, so it was almost like he threw his entire series into that one shot and was definitely well, he, a bit of a rally. He's hurt too. They, he went out in the middle of the third corner, went, went down the, they show him going down the hallway. Wait, as an old grizzled basketball fan like myself, do you feel like it's a, it's a fluke that we're getting all these injuries or is there something more sinister happening? Would you blame the every other night games thing or is just how physical the series is? Why are we getting all these injuries? Uh, I think there's two explanations. One is if we went back and looked at, you know, sort of the before times, I I bet this is not that dissimilar. But I also think, speaking of, it, it this is the first full season with full playoffs on kind mm. of the regular schedule, the regular cadence. And, and it, you know, it's, it's taking everybody a whole, like, season to get used to it again. 
you have to recalibrate. We haven't had a normal season, an uninterrupted season. You know, COVID um, played humongous impacts even on last season with the the schedule they tried to restore. And obviously, we had a bubble the previous season. So this is the first full 82-game season plus full playoffs. So I, I'm not that surprised to, to, to see injuries and stuff. You know what I was looking at? Because I was thinking like half of these guys are breaking down, right? Even Tatum and Brown, young guys, they seem like they're even a little dinged up. LeBron, from 2011 through the 2018 playoffs, eight eight postseasons, he plays 168 playoff games in eight years. He's in 32 series, and he plays 41.4 minutes a game. And I think, I actually think, LeBron has been overrated, properly rated, underrated, depending on what the conversation is. I think his durability is actually like completely underrated. When you think of how many hits he took, how physical those games were, and how you see guys like Jimmy Butler were in it's the third round of the, like he got swept last year in round one. And then this year he's halfway through round three and his, his legs are already, they were, they were done by game three. And LeBron just for eight straight years, just indestructible. I, I do feel like that should be higher in his whatever as we're recapping the LeBron career. It's almost borderline per, first paragraph for me how durable the guy was. I, I, why is it even borderline? It it truly is. He's a one of one. He's a unicorn in this respect. Yeah. He, he is unmatched in the history of basketball, and I believe it will go on it, well past the time that we're uh, lucky enough to be on God's green earth. That that you know we'll, we'll never see anything like like this again in terms of that that endurance that durability and he played at a crazy high level over those eight years. It's why I will tolerate. I won't indulge it, but I'll tolerate anybody no. saying his name. I, I again I'll with, tolerate with, with MJ. Yeah, I to- I won't I won't indulge a conversation about it, but I can understand why somebody who hmm. who didn't live with the full MJ experience could try and. Imagine LeBron at that stature. He's not, but he he has that single attribute that is unmatched in the history of the game. Yeah, it's I wouldn't say unmatched because I think Kareem and Carl Malone had it. I think for I think he's the guy for this generation. Carl Malone didn't play in eight straight finals. No, no, no. I'm just Carl Malone was just exceptionally durable for that era. I mean, he played for like twenty straight years or nineteen straight years, whatever the hell that was. And he no, finally I, I, broke down that 04 season. I think it's the Kareem, level of play is the thing. True, yeah, and that's the thing with uh, looking back at the, those eight straight years with LeBron. Like, even when it seemed like he got hurt, he was fine. Yeah, <laughs> normally humans get hurt; and they're actually hurt. They're like Jimmy Butler's hurt now. It's like my knee hurts; it's swollen. Robert Williams is like, I can't play today; my knee's swollen. LeBron just keeps going and going. I think when you compare like him to somebody like Tatum, who's like a mortal superstar guy who t- has taken, I think, a pretty big pounding um, really the last four months of the season and then in, in these playoffs. But tonight was a night where the young legs really start helping you out. Once the Celtics made a couple shots, you could feel like, you could just feel the energy of the game shift. Like, for instance, it was 59-58. And I was writing down notes at the time, which I don't normally do, but it felt like something was happening, where Williams hit a three in the corner, get a stop. Brown hits a two. And Brown sometimes will get going near the end of the third quarter where you go, oh, here comes a Jalen Brown run. He does have, he's weirdly streaky for a guy who seems like he's reliable. White, they get a stop. White hits one of two free throws. Rob has a huge block. Tatum drive, he scores. 
Brown hits a two. We get 10 points there in like two minutes. All of a sudden, it's 69-58 into the third quarter. And within like two and a half minutes, it's 77-60. It's 80-60. to Jalen hits two straight threes. It's 83-60. And it all happens in six minutes. They go on a 24-2 run. But you could see the energy start lifting. It was like they were like breaking a wall trying to get through this. And then they got through it. And it was like, boom. Well, I, that that was the the winning time, six minutes. But to me, the first two minutes of the third quarter was the crucial. They went on an 8-0 run, run to begin the second half while all of the Miami fans, you and your dad talked about this from your own experience at game four. There wasn't anybody in the crowd. You can hear the Boston fans cheering, and there was, you know, some audible uh, uh, Boston people in the house. The the uh, Jay Brown dunk got a, got got some noise. Um, yeah, there was some run, Boston fans. That run got them to me. Started they started playing a little bit more downhill. That that's what really t- you know got them going to me. The beginning of the second half. I was a little. They worried won that to- quarter thirty two to sixteen. I was a little worried of Mark Davis. Hasn't having that great success. Yeah, the Ime starts Grant and then brings in Robert Williams later. I thought that was really smart. The uh the Heat just staying with Lowry and I, I'd love to know the mentality of that because after seeing him in person, game three and game four, I just he just looked like he wasn't in shape to me. He's he's beyond flabby. He is Carrying like it felt like an extra 20 pounds and didn't look like he was moving that well. Offensively, there's just not a lot there. So I, I was surprised that they played him this much. I think well, Gabe Vincent's I mean, been pretty good in this series. But the, the choice isn't Gabe because I think Gabe was, was playing alongside Lowry. It's like, <laughs> right. you, what about you cloning Gabe Vincent? You have to keep, give those minutes to Caleb Martin or something like that, right? Yeah, I guess. I If I were them, I would have played Martin and Vincent Moore, pressed more, and tried to knock Derek White out of his thing. Derek White, another good one, man. That trade, which they gave up their first rounder this year, they gave up Josh Richardson, who's playing, but they gave up this pick swap that's like top one protected like four year, four or five years from now, I think 2027. And you do that if you think this trade will help you potentially win the title, right? Because I don't like giving up pick swaps ever. So that trade now, they're one game away from the finals, then that that trade becomes vindicated all of a sudden. I Ime must have a new routine with him where he just yells at him to get fired up like a boxing trainer before the games. Because he's come out super aggressive the last two games. I like it. Well, I, I, I it's clearly a point of emphasis for them. And it's clear also that his confidence, you know, is inextric- inextricably tied to the level of... Uh, you know, how assertive he is. And so I think, I think you're right. It has to be something like that because his confidence, he's still so hesitant shooting the basketball. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, you, you know, he gets his stuff in rhythm, but as soon as he misses one, you can see the body language on him. One of the texts I sent to my Celtics friends was that, um, one of the reasons he's getting more comfortable as the series goes along is because everybody's shooting 30%. So he's he just fits in now. <laughs> he fits in. <laughs> he's like he's like I'm really comfortable in this series. There's just bricks going everywhere. Miami must have had, I don't know, nine, maybe ten threes that just like ricocheted off the backboard. I mean, or they, hit the front of the rim and almost killed somebody. They were seven of forty five from three. Ugh. 
this is the thing. Um, Perk went on. Big Perk went on with uh, Tony and and Mike today on PTI, and Perk <laughs> just he just fed the red meat to Wilbon. Said that analytics is responsible for these crappy outcomes. Um, oh. Well, his point was that everybody's <laughs> shooting these threes, and the three that the three point shooting has been horrendous. The only reason that Dallas, you know, won a game is because they finally shot near fifty percent. Yeah. From three, but otherwise have been, you know, so so bad. But when you see seven of forty-five from three, I mean, I understand the point he's making. It's funny, it's dumb to to call it analytics, but I understand the point. Those guys love to blame analytics whenever anything goes wrong. It's like it's the analytics fault. <laughs> That's why. Or maybe that maybe this is just a matchup of two really good defenses and you know. N- no, none of the guards of the Celtics could really dribble that well, and none of the guards on the Heat can create anything. So that could be another reason. I don't know. I am not. I'm, I'm going to have a hard time, and we'll have to do this some other. T- How can it be that that Boston has only one player that can dribble, and his name is Marcus Smart? Well, Pritchard can dribble, but he didn't even play in the second half, which I thought yeah. was nuts. Uh, we'll take a quick break. A couple more storylines. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right? First half of the first game. I don't know. West Coast time, that's usually about Five o'clock, five thirty, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at Michelobeultra.com slash courtside LDA twenty one and up. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, award winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24 7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60 day money back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring. At simplysafe.com slash BS. That is simply safe with two S. Simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like Simply Safe. This episode is brought to you by Verbo. You know, it is already stressful enough to deal with airports, delayed flights, bad weather. You want your actual where you're staying experience to be perfect, to be lights out. You don't want to have to worry about anything. When you book a vacation rental, you want to know exactly what you're paying ahead of time. The stress of getting hit with unexpected cleaning fees after your stay. That can immediately cancel out all the great time you just spent unwinding. Thankfully, when you book with Verbo, you can see the total price upfront. There are no unpleasant surprises and the savings do not stop there, my friends. When you book with Verbo, you earn 2% cash back toward your next vacation through the One Key Rewards program, letting your money do the work for you while you've got your feet up. So while other vacation rentals can feel like a roll of the dice, relax knowing you booked a Verbo. Book your next private vacation rental in the Verbo app. So they're giving out conference finals MVPs this year. The Larry Bird trophy. 
the Larry Bird Trophy. I'm sure he was just delighted to no end to have the Eastern Conference Championship named after him. Are there odds for this anywhere? Well, I'm going to look Fandle that up. Have some odds? I'm going to look that up as we talk because I don't know if FanDuel has the odds for these. I don't see them. Um, the reason I bring this up is I think you can make a case it's Al Horford. Oh, I, <laughs> you think? Well, I think Tatum's going to win, but I think they're, I actually think Al Horford has been the most important player in the series for the Celtics. Al Horford has been the most important player for the Celtics in these entire playoffs. I mean, when, when uh, he didn't play the beginning of the series, I thought, you know, but he and he and, and smart are, are, are both obviously crucially vital to the Celtics, but I think it's pretty even between the two of them. The impact of the team on the, on the team he yeah. is really been revitalized. Like let let's all be lucky enough to find the fountain of youth that Al Horford's clearly tapped into. Well, Tatum's going to win. Did he go to? Did he fly to Germany before no, the, the you know playoffs where he flew? started? You know where he flew to Oklahoma City, where he did nothing but recuperate for an entire year from his entire basketball <laughs> career. That's and a great point. He just got his knees back and shaped the whole thing, and then our guy Sam Presti traded him right to the Celtics. Why? That's Sam... just its own. What a what a oh, beautiful I gift see. that was. I get it. I get it. Boston guys always looking well, out for each other. We gave him a number sixteen pick. You know, it wasn't like uh, wasn't nothing. And they took Kemba, who's able to uh, buy out. But yeah, I mean, Horford had the year off. It, just goes to show you. Sometimes it's nice to have the year off. Well, Regroup. I mean, uh, yeah. Um, J- Jalen gave uh, Kyrie Irving all all NBA thirteen on a year that he took off. So yeah, <laughs> works out. I, I gotta say, I was really bummed out about that. Jalen's my, my brother, as you know. I'm glad he, he apologized. He did. He did, he did apologize for that. Twenty nine games. I can't imagine <laughs> what he what he was thinking with that. <laughs> this is astonishing. Did Jalen know the votes were public? I want to ask you this seriously. Do you? How do you mark your votes? I wondered if he fat fingered it, if he pushed the wrong button. Do you, I mean, you don't write the name in, do you? Oh, interesting. Now you, oh. it's this weird. It's like this weird scrolling system where you have to scroll and you have to click on the name. And oh, so he? I, why, why didn't he go that route? I clicked the wrong name. Well, it would have to be, you'd have to go to whoever was above or below Kyrie Irving. So maybe they, maybe you couldn't pull that. It would be somebody else with the last name. I. I. <laughs> Did you see that story Iguodala? today? Did Iguodala? you see that story today about the Nets? Yes. Well, what, what's surprising about any, any aspect of that? So they, the story, I think it was Christian Winfield. Yes. Uh, he wrote that KD had not talked to the Nets front office since the season ended. And he was, he expressed some doubts that this was headed in a good direction. (laughs) The writer, not KD. I know, I know, I understand. So, if you're the Nets, you can't give Kyrie a multiple year contract. And you have KD under contract, so it's what's he going to do? Like, just retire? It's a weird, it's a weird one. I'll say this, Conspiracy Bill, this was not on his radar. I had I was I had my whole, you know, summer buffet of stories I was gonna dive into, like DeAndre Ayton trades, and maybe there's like a sneaky Bradley Beal sign and trade and just all that stuff. Donovan Mitchell, maybe he's going somewhere, maybe somebody goes after Gobert. I did not have the Nets possibly blowing up on my bingo card. Why? 
I just, because they say KG, he's got his whole setup there in New York and he just signed an extension. They, they were, they got swept. What was the answer? They, they're, they're bad. KD couldn't beat Al Horford off the dribble. It's they tough. They got swept. It made me think, it made me think, you know, remember in Swingers when they kept showing up to the bars and then their friend, the black guy with the, with the hat. Cool, that and he'd cool always hat. be like, he'd always be like, yeah, this place is dead anyway. And it, no matter where they were, he would always say that. And I, I'm wondering if like NBA players are becoming like that, where they like going to the new place and they look around and then they go, yeah, this place is dead anyway. And then they just leave to go to the next team. Did like you that could be Kyrie and KD right now. Well, Joel Embiid tweeted that Miami needs another star. And uh, no, he tweeted during the game. Miami needs another star. KD to Miami? I mean, that's the point of the Kyle Lowry trade, right? He was supposed to be the other star. That was their big move. It was Dragic and Precious, and they went all into thinking that was going to be the final piece. I mean, look, they were up 2-1 in this series. It's hard to fault them too much, but I think they they banked on a 36-year-old guy. This has been a bad year for old point guards house with Kyle Lowry, Chris Paul. I'm starting to wonder, maybe maybe we were right all on that point guards can't play until their late 30s, four straight rounds of the playoffs. Maybe well, that why, hasn't changed. Why limit it to, to point guards? Like, what's the ceiling for James Harden next year? What's the ceiling for Kevin Durant next year? Well, those guys are in their early 30s, at least. Well, what's what the ceiling for LeBron James next year? Year 20. Whatever he wants. One out of every three games. Yeah, I do think... So, here's the thing. Because I was watching some old clips on YouTube to see what the intensity was. I do think the game is much more intense start to finish than it used to be in the playoffs. What? Probably probably starting maybe 2000, I don't know, 2003 or four was when we went to another level with the defense. And then they changed the rules. They changed the hand check stuff. And then it started to kind of drift back to where we were. I see some of the, the, some of the moving picks and how physical the stuff is. I just think it's taxing to play. Like, when does Tatum get like easy, nice lanes to the basket? There's always like three guys. He's always bouncing off somebody. It's like bumper. I don't bumper know what pool. you're talking about. What you, like? Did you watch the Pistons Bulls series from you know the 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 80s? Yeah, but here's the thing with those series: there was no spacing back then. Everybody's kind of underneath the basket, and you would just have to do these launches into like a sea of bodies. Right? This now it's like. The way they have to guard these three-point shooters coming around picks, Tatum's got to chase these dudes. So even on defense now, he's bouncing off these dudes. I don't know. It's just, I would love I, to see some sort of study where somebody watches five playoff games from like 1993 and then five playoff games from now and just compare Jason Tatum to who's a like, good small forward from that from the early Joe 90s. Joe Dumars. Well, he was a guard, but. Well, let's say, let's say Pippen. Like, take Pippen and all the possessions he had in, like, the 92 playoffs and compare it to, like, some of the Tatum stuff and see, like, how much punishment did Pippen have on defense chasing through all these picks and trying to do runs at three-point shooters. I don't know if it's more or less, but I noticed it in person at those last two games. The guys just seem, like, really, really, like, bizarrely tired to me. It is, I think, um, to your point, the the style of play and this was something I was struck by when we were together in March out in Los Angeles watching the Warriors and the Lakers that was the first time I'd laid eyes on Jordan Poole 
he looks like a track guy. He right. literally has the body of like a hurdler or something. And and if to your point about, you know, the all of the running around that's required to cover the perimeter and, you know, the inside outside kind of game, for, I I I bet to part of what you're describing in this analysis is like some incremental number of steps more like guys are running more than a previous era that that I'm willing to to think about thanks house thanks for backing me up <laughs> i here here's how i think i'm right remember rip hamilton and ray allen and yeah. they would always talk about how much running those guys did and oh my yes. god and rip the 2004 finals part of what he was trying to do was just run kobe around screens and tire him out every fucking team does that now there's true. 50 Rip Hamiltons. There's so they can five in this series that are just running around and trying to tire the other team out. So I, I, I don't know. I would love to see that study. Somebody should do that this summer. So the teams can take 45 to 55 three pointers a game. And sometimes some teams only make seven of them, like tonight. I love that analytics suck is now back as, <laughs> as a topic again. I missed it. I thought that was really fun uh, once upon a time. All right, so you, listen, I'm not prepared to say the Celtics are going to win game six. You shouldn't. Because I I think it would be really hard for Miami to win two straight games in the shape they're in, but do I think they could suck it up and turn game six into a really physical rock fight? Plus, is the extender going to be there? Or they save the extender for game seven? Well, the extender can't extend game seven. The extender's got to be there for game six. Well, but is that too obvious if you have the extender in game four and game six? I mean, he's been doing the Eastern Conference. He, I haven't seen him in a Western Conference game in a long time. Why wouldn't he just stay in Boston for a few days? Give me your best players in the league right now list. Wow. Good one. Giannis. And Giannis, a clear number one. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's two? Uh, that's, a, that's an awesome question. I'd probably say Joel. Um, the Joker, it, you know. Two, two A, two B. It's you know. What, do we really have to split hairs? Um, Luca, two C. Like, I, do I have to choose between Luca, the Joker, and Embiid? No, you can say that's a tier right below Giannis. Where okay, so Durant's great. not on that tier anymore for you? Oh no, 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 no. Wow, you're really, no. you're really uh, reacting. To Al this. Horford stopped Kevin Durant mano y mano. Took him up, looked him in the eye. The fourth quarter of what we watched those Net Celtics games. Well, Tatum, such, I think Tatum did it too, though. Well, it's a bunch I, I, of people. Well, he could not go by anybody. But he if the Celtics have a historically great defense, maybe Durant should get more of a pass with that, considering he was playing with a bunch of point guards I, and I, and Bruce Brown. I I, I still I mean, have I Durant. Just, I I still have Durant on that second tier. I'm not going to hold that series against him because I think the Celtics D is. Well, Great. what what's what's the Durant? But I think Curry ceiling? has to be in, Curry has to be in that combo too, though. I think he's got to be in the tier with all those guys because they're going to make the finals with a team built around him, and then really a supporting cast that I don't know what I'm getting from any of those guys game to game. I am uh, I, I I'm I'm prepared for all of of the you know what whatever kind of backlash I'm out on Durant. Durant's top 10 for me, but he, he ain't top five and he's not top wow. eight. I mean, what, do you, what do you think? This is going to get picked up on Hoops Hype tomorrow? No, <laughs> Joe House says not. he's out on Durant. <laughs> what? No, oh, no, no. I hope I you mean, get aggregated. From aggregated the crew. House. Nobody gives a shit what I say. Everybody knows I I'm a moron. Anyway. Nobody cares what I say. You should be aggregated. Hey, 
He's not top eight. Wait, can we talk about uh, Dallas Golden State tomorrow? Please. So, I think Dallas is actually an easy team to bet. And we talked okay. about this yesterday in game four. Because if they hit threes, the game's going to go over and they either might win or they're going to cover. And if they don't hit threes, the game's probably not going over. I would say the bet that I would look at, if you think Dallas can actually win, Dallas minus two and a half alternative spread, move the over down to 209.5. And then Jalen Brunson have two plus assists. And that's like five to one on FanDuel. And that's just like, if you think Dallas is going to win, you might as well give yourself better odds than just the money line. My guess is Golden State is going to take care of business tomorrow. I thought Kerr playing Kaminga and Moody and just like his younger guys for as much as he did, it was almost like he was saying to himself, my team doesn't have it tonight. I'm going to get my younger guys some rep. Maybe they can bring us back, but they'll need this for the next round because they're going to need Moody and Kaminga if it's the Celtics next round because they're going to need legs. Um, so. My guess well, would be worried, but if I was doing Dallas, I would do something like that. I would I would twist the over and do some alternate stuff. Yeah, because you're you're just betting on um, them having some semblance of a repeat of the the three point shooting performance that they had in Dallas. I didn't understand the lineups last night that Golden State went with. Um, for sure, I'm I I you know Kerr being distracted, um, you know, uh, not just Steve Kerr being distracted, right? You know, the whole country being distracted, um, properly. So I I just couldn't get a feel for what it was that they were trying to do. Kavon Looney, the only thing that stopped him was was Steve Kerr playing him twenty minutes. I I didn't understand. He played. He'd averaged thirty minutes in the previous three games. He'd averaged, you know, nearly 12 rebounds, you know, double digit points. And then he got 20 minutes last night. It's not like they figured out an answer to Kavon Looney between game three and game four. It wasn't Dallas defense that was the limit. He might have been beaten up in the first three games and he was trying to steal the game without using him too much, knowing that okay. in game five, it could be easier for them to win. But Gold State hasn't lost at home yet. My suspicion is they're going to win. If my life depended on it, I would do like a, I'd probably do something like with the money line and the minus 300 with some sort of over under something like that. But sure. um, I'll tell you this. Be interesting if all of a sudden we were going back to Dallas for a game six. It'd be really fun. I'm rooting for it. Be like, whoa. Like in Luca, and all of a sudden it starts that, that, that Phoenix feel of, you know. Let's, let's not count out uh, Adam Silver. Do you, any possibility we see the extender? Oh, for game five. Yeah. Oh, that would be fun. That would be fun, wouldn't it? Yeah. The extend, they send the extender to Golden State. Let's have it. Yeah, let's, there'd be like at least a good conspiracy theory. I, I'm glad you brought up the, uh, the state of mind last night. Did you drive your son to school this morning? Yes, but we had a doctor's appointment um, early, so we, we went in late. We were like an hour and a half later than normal. Uh, entry time. I drove my son to school this morning. It's just like, just a different experience, right? It's in the back of your head when you're dropping them off. When we've now had this 2012, it happens in Sandy Hook and everybody's like, this is it. This is the moment. Now, now this will be the catalyst for us to change some laws and try to actually make things different. 
and then nothing happened for 10 years and then it happened again this week. And I, I just like, how many times are we going to make that drive to school with that? Like in the very, very back of your mind, who knows? Well, this is the, the point that Kerr did a pretty damn good job of, of making, you know, the statement. What about going to church? What about going to the grocery store? Right. Right. You, you, the, n- none of these places are safe. Now it's, it's grotesque that elementary school isn't the safe place, but like, you know, there isn't as, as long as an 18 year old person can walk into a store and buy weapons grade, military grade, you know, w- weapons of war and all the ammunition that, that he wants. And, and what about, you know, he had the, the thing on too, the bulletproof vest thing. There was no, and, and there was, he, he hadn't shown up. There was nothing in his background. This, this guy, this young fellow that, um, would have put him on any of the lists that are being contemplated as background check lists. It's just, you can walk into a store and buy an arsenal because right. that, you can buy that, automatic weapons, we you can here. buy a full body armor suit, you can buy bullets, you can buy a gun with a laser on it. And there's no red flag mechanism at all with no, anything. No, nothing. No, no registration. No, nothing. Just go buy it. I was thinking about it. it today when I was driving home. Like when we were kids in the 80s, we had, you know, we, it was close enough to the 60s and our parents were either from the 50s or the 60s. And we had all these heroes in the 60s, right? We had all these people who stood for something. And it was this amazing decade that um, I think was one of the most impactful in the history of this country. But all these heroes that came out of it, and it was, you know, Martin Luther King and JFK and RFK and John Lennon, Bill Russell and Muhammad Ali and John Lewis. Like, it just keeps going and going and going. And when we were learning about, when we were going to school and learning about all these people, it felt attainable to be a hero. You know? Like, because 20 years or less, we had all these people who made a difference, who inspired millions and millions of Americans. And I wonder like, who are the heroes now? As we had, like, who are our sons? Who, who are the heroes that they're going to look at? Who are going to people? That's kind of what Kerr was trying to say yesterday. Is it just about getting power and then keeping it? Or is it about trying to make a difference, trying to make things safer, trying to make things safer for our kids, trying to make it so that we're not normalizing somebody, an eight-year-old kid knowing that he should climb under his desk if he hears a gunshot. So the thing I keep thinking about is who who's going to step up and be the hero? What politician is going to see this as an opportunity versus like just a protect the territory thing and actually try to make a difference? And I don't even know if that is capable of happening. I, I, I don't think so. I, I, I wouldn't. There, there's no politician uh, current or in the works that, you know. So I, maybe I it's think. a celebrity. I don't. It's got to be somebody because right now we the difference between this and Sandy Hook was the Sandy Hook, it felt like at least, all right, this can never happen again. Let's get our shit together. Let's go. And this time around, it just feels there's a hopelessness that I think is pretty alarming. Yeah. Well, because it's routine just keeps happening. That that's, that's the thing that, that is, is so devastating, uh, about it. And, And none of us, 
regular folks who just want to go on, live our regular lives, take our kids to school, be able to go to church, feel safe, be able to go to the supermarket, feel safe. We don't have that 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 luxury. There, and there's nothing you can do about it. It it feels like that's what it feels like. So I to your point, um, the the who has enough clout? Who has that stature? Who can make it happen? It's not anybody in in politics. It is a celebrity, but who who's big or multiple celebrities? Right. But that's scary to be counting on celebrities. Anyway, house. Sobering week. It's weird to talk about basketball. At the same time, it was nice to, um, I don't know, not think about stuff for a couple of hours. But now, now it's over and we're thinking about stuff again. Yeah. Um, good to see you, House. You too, buddy. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid. Featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. This episode is brought to you by Taco Bell. If you're anything like me during a busy day at work, I need lunch that is just as fresh as it is delicious and easy. And the all-new Cantina Chicken Menu from Taco Bell is exactly that, made with high-quality ingredients like seasoned slow-roasted chicken, pico de gallo, shredded purple cabbage, and avocado verde salsa sauce. The new Cantina Chicken Tacos, Burrito, and Quesadilla are the perfect daytime choice. Try the new Cantina Chicken Menu at Taco Bell now. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is brought to you by Honey Stinger. This is a show about sports and culture opinions, but right now I want to talk sports facts, the data, the stats. Honey Stinger, sports nutrition, trusted by more than 1,500 pro and college teams. That's right, 1,500. That's all 32 pro football teams. That's 39 pro basketball teams, 29 pro baseball teams, and more that prepare, perform, and recover with the delicious taste of Honey Stinger's energy waffles, chews, gels, and bars. Honey Stinger is the one team's trust. Use code Simmons for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. That is S-I-M-M-O-N-S for 20% off your first order at honeystinger.com. All right, Michael Che is here. Not sure how this uh, has not happened before, but you just finished um, another Saturday Night Live season, which started to feel normal by the end of it. You had an audience. There's less mass. I guess you had you guys had mass on at the end of each show, but for the most part, it started to feel like the show again about halfway through, right? Well, I think it's like anything else where we don't, you kind of don't remember before the pandemic. You know, the the audience is masked up. We're kind of masked through rehearsals and you know around the office. I don't know how much it helps, but I think everybody's just doing what they can. But it it, it gets a little annoying. Yeah. I would say for comedy, it's a little strange to have mess on. Well, you can't hear as good. <laughs> right. and, uh, and also, you know, you can't, you, you, you can only see people's eyes and you can hear the laughs, but you can't see the laughs. It's a little different, you know? So it's like, it's annoying, but it, So you had, you guys had a giant cast. I yeah. think it was like 23, what was it? 23 people? Well, something like that, like 21, I think, yeah. Yeah, I've always had this theory. Now, I know they had to do it that way or at least have a bigger cast because of COVID stuff and because some people were filming shows and popping in and out. But I always felt like 
I've said this before, like SNL is like a basketball team where you want like your nine or 10 man rotation. And if, if you're trying to compete for the title, but you're playing 17 guys, it gets a little harder. What, what's your take? What's the ideal number for a cast in your mind? Well, I, I tend to agree with you as a fan, but I never, I've never been on the show when it was only about eight or nine cast members. I think they hadn't done that since maybe the, the early nineties. Um, but you know, as a fan, I, I do think it, it, you know, smaller casts can can do a little bit more. But like you said, you know, the you know people are out for certain periods of time, either the filming and you know the way scheduling works. Um, you you end up being happy that you have so many people that can step up. It's almost like more like a football team now instead of a basketball team. It's kind of like a college basketball team because no one's staying there for. Uh, very long. So, you know, you kind of want to make sure that there's, there's still people in the wings to keep the tradition going. It's like, it's like, it's like a Gonzaga. It's not a Duke where people are just leaving every year. It's more like right. you might have somebody, you might have Drew Timmy <laughs> stay four years. You might have Chet right. Holmgren stay one. Right, right. It's, it's Villanova. They graduate a lot of their players. <laughs> well, so you're staying or you're going? You're like Tom Brady. Every year, I, I, I never know. I think I'm, I think I'm staying uh, I think, uh, I think I'm staying, I don't know. And that's the thing I never know. You know, it's, it's hard to, once the season's over, it's, it's best to not make decisions like this <laughs> towards the end of the year, because you, all you want to do is get out of there. You know, you feel like you've had your fill, but you know, August or, or September is usually a different story, but I, I don't have any plans to leave just yet. They should told Tom Brady that. Yeah. Tom, <laughs> Tom, wait a month. You see what I mean? That's exactly yeah. right. Like he, he he wanted to leave. He was probably just tired. But then, you know, after a couple months, he's like, eh, what else am I going to do? It seems like you guys have so much fun doing Weekend Update though, now, especially you're at it for so long. And it was especially those early years as social media is rising up and nobody's going to like whoever moves into the Weekend Update chair. And then you guys find, you know, with through through reps and chemistry and all that stuff. And now it just seems like it's the easiest thing in the world for you guys. I know it's not easy, but it just well, it seems like also, the chemistry's there. You're being kind. It was also bad, but um, you know, we didn't give people much much reason to like it for the first couple of years. But um, I do think um, the job could have been a lot easier had I known, obviously, than what I know now. And uh, well, so what is that? Tell me. Walk me through that. When you well, look back at those first two years, why did what do you look at and go, what the hell was I thinking? What were we thinking? Why did we do it that way? I think we were trying to do the job we saw and not the job we wanted to do, and mm -hmm. that and that made it a lot more uncomfortable. It it felt like we were trying to do what Seth did and what you know Tina and Amy were doing, and we're not those kinds of comics, so. It just, it felt like we were wearing our father's suit, you know. Well, for me, speaking for myself. So, and I remember I would talk to Lauren, like, I, you know, I would try to get out of it. You know, like, I don't think this is working. You know, this isn't fun. And uh, he, would, he would always say, just uh, stop trying to write chemistry. That's what he would always say. Hmm. And yeah, and I never understood what it meant. And it used to drive me crazy when he said it, because it was like one of them kind of dumb old guy riddles, you know. But it made all the sense in the world. You, you, you kind of just have to find, uh, kind of got to find it. Cause we're always in a single, you know, when you do a feature with somebody on update, 
you know, you guys are talking to each other. You could you could find that chemistry in the feature. So like I could find it with Kyle and Keenan and and Joe's could find it with Pete and Leslie because they're talking and interacting. And but for me and Colin, you know, we're we only see us together when it starts and when it ends. Yeah. So we could be shooting that in two different buildings and the audience wouldn't know. You know what I mean? So we kind of had to find a way to show that we were together and what our taste was uh, in those kind of gaps before the joke and after a joke. You know what I mean? It was very, very weird and, and simple, but it's th- little things like that that just makes it feel a little bit more alive. And I think that's what started to work. Well, yeah, it's like you found the chemistry of it's like, mock adversarial but it's not yeah but, you know you're giving each other shit i think in the past when it's been two people um you know like when i don't know seth seth and amy did it they, mm-hmm. they always like very friendly on the same team it was not adversarial right. but you guys had to find whatever that balance once you found that it was you were you were set yeah i i, I like to think so i think i think people started to kind of understand our dynamic and uh then it became a lot more fun were you on social media at that point when when you guys were getting hammered initially as like the new guys? Who the fuck are these guys? Were you even seeing that stuff or were people telling you don't even look? Oh, sure. I, I don't I don't know if I was on social media, but I definitely saw it. But also I knew. So it wasn't it wasn't any like uh, one thing about a comedian. I think and, uh, we know it's bad before anybody else. You know what I mean? So you, there's right. nothing you can tell me that I, even if you think it's good. I can tell you why it's not good. You know, like we kind of, we're kind of insane, but we're never truly pleased anyway. So it didn't even matter what people were saying because they couldn't have been as harsh as I was on myself. Were you friends with him when that, when that, when you started doing update together or did you become yeah, friends? Yeah, he, he's, Colin's the one that got me the, uh, into SNL in the first place. Um, we saw each other, you know, Hannibal Burris. Yeah. Uh, and a good friend of mine, he's have a show on Sunday nights. At uh at the knitting factory in Brooklyn, and uh, Colin was there. I was doing a set, and he was like, "Man, you should you should write sketches." Like we look, we're doing this kind of guest writer program, and I was like, "Yeah, okay, I, you know, whatever." And I came in for two weeks and been there ever since. So you you came out as a writer initially. Do you have to who you're sharing an office with? Don't you you always have to have at least one roommate in the office, right? Dude, so my first my first roommate was Jay Farrow. Oh, yeah, I like him. In a very tiny, tiny office, which was insane. Way too small for the both of us. Then it was me, Tim Robinson, and Leslie Jones in the same office. And that was that was also too small. <laughs> and then and then for the most part, it was me, Tim Robinson, and, and Zach Kanan uh, together, who went on to do I Think You Should Leave for Netflix. Yeah. So funny. And uh, but those are kind of my buds. Yeah, well, it's the the show you're doing for HBO Max. It's like the cousin of the Tim Robinson show in a lot of ways, right? It's a lot of different, I mean, a lot of different things. It's flying at you, and you <laughs> never know who's going to pop in. And it's cable, and I don't know. I they're not the shows aren't alike, but they're they feel like they have some sort of tiny connective tissue. I, I oh man, I, that is a big compliment to me because I, I think those guys are like the best sketch writers going right now. So um, yes. Yeah, I guess you share an office long enough, you start to you start to have similar sensibilities. And there's also a lot of times, you know, where we'll have ideas and we'll text each other the ideas of, you know, we make it like a punchline from each other. We still talk all the time. So um, 
yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty dope. Those are my guys. So you're sharing an office with Leslie Jones? How yeah. How big should an office be when you're sharing it with Leslie Jones? Should it be like 100 feet by 80? Because <laughs> she's got a big personality. Leslie, Leslie's the best, man. She she has a huge personality. I remember when she came in, she used to have a she used to have like a, a roller bag and she'd bring, I don't know if I should say that, she used to always have a roller bag and she had everything you needed in that roller bag. She's like, you need orange, you need medicine, you need everything. She had everything in this bag. And we'd be like, she was just so sweet. She was just always kind of thoughtful and oh, I got you this. I thought that you you know what you might like this. And she was I just seen her actually in um at, at the Hollywood Bowl for a Dave Chappelle show. And it was the first time I seen her since she left the show. I haven't seen her in about four or five years. So it was kind of cool to see her in LA. I ran into her once and she recognized me from the NBA stuff. And it's like, when she okay, fixates on you, like you, you, you feel it. What did she call you? Did she, did she get your name right? Because she gets nobody's name right. I don't even think she mentioned my name. I think it was one of those, yo, it's you. <laughs> that sounds right. That sounds right. Yeah. That sounds Were you right. at the Chappelle show when everything went down? No, I, I was there the Saturday and then I left Sunday because I had to work Monday and then it happened, I think, Monday. Uh, yeah, I, I just missed I just missed it. And I'm glad I, I did miss it because, uh, yeah, that's kind of. Yeah, that's pretty great. It's not something you want to see, you know. It becomes a punchline, but in the moment, I, I'm sure it wasn't. It wasn't fun. Yeah, especially on the heels of the uh, the Will Smith thing. Just in general, it's I mean, two isolated incidents, but at the same time that you know, you know how this stuff goes, where it's like, oh, I saw this person do it, so now I'm going to do it at the show in Kansas City, and then it's now it's gone. That's the part. That's the part that troubles me. You know, it's it, I feel like this is a very uh, attention seeking culture. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, a lot of times attention seekers aren't the most creative in seeking that attention and they start to copycat other other bad behavior. And we see it a lot, you know, we, we, in, in much, much, much worse scenarios. And, you know, it just it's just kind of disheartening. It's like comedy had enough strikes going against it in 2022. It's I don't know if we needed to add this. It's already such a ridiculous premise to... Uh, walk on stage by yourself, tell your inner thoughts, and make uh, 20,000 people react at the same time in the same way. Doesn't make sense. You're a fool to think you can. And uh, it's kind of, it's already hard enough to do. And now we got to worry about right. psychos. Well, you kind of stumbled into it, right? The, you no. were, you didn't. Weren't you, weren't you like in the real workforce for a couple of years and then eventually just made a run at comedy or were you always doing comedy? No, every, yeah, I was in the workforce, but you know, like everybody, everybody's, you know, got to make some sort of a living. Um, but I think I always wanted to do comedy. Like it was yeah. always like that. It was always like that, that dream, that fantasy of trying it. You know, I'd have friends who'd be like, dude, you should try it. And, and you know, I just what, what was it about you that made them say you should try it? Were you just like, you were holding court? Uh, I would hold court. I was uh, pretty quick. I mean, it's hard for me to say now because I was 
so what I thought was funny and good was so bad then. So right. I definitely, you know, like if I if I knew myself then now, I'd be like, you should not do comedy. But, you know, uh, yeah, I was, you know, I was always kind of a smart ass. I would always I would like sometimes go to a bar or a party or something and just be in character for something and just be silly. And yeah. You know, I always had something to say. I think my friends kind of, I think also too, when your friends know you well, they know you want to do it. So right, right. that might've been something of just kind of encouraging me to try it. I had one buddy who would always tell me, you should do it, you should do it. And then I, and I finally did it and I loved it. And the first thing I noticed was the view. I remember that being like, whoa, this is what it looks like. You know, like this is, it, it, right. it, was, it was addictive. What became your place? to to work on your stuff did you have like a what was your what was your home stadium there was there was tons but later on it became more steady at the cellar and at caroline's on broadway mm. and at uh but yeah those those are the ones I, I remember when i got into caroline i mean when i got into the cellar um i was working there like seven eight shows a night you know Jesus. whatever yeah, yeah, it was it was crazy. We, we was going every night, at least five shows a night, and then you know Caroline's as well. They they used to let me open. I got to open for so many people. I I, I got in Caroline's first, and they would let me open. You know, for the weekends with like Dick Gregory or or you know Gilbert Godfrey or mm. you know, Jim Jeffries. Like there's all these great kind of legendary standups that I only saw on television. And getting to work with them on the same stage was a huge, like, motivation, you know? That was a fun time, too, the 2000s for comedy. Because yeah. you see it in the movies, too, where I was watching The Hangover. I was flying to Boston for one of the Celtic games. And I was it's JetBlue, and they have the TV, so, but they don't have the real movie channels. They just have, like, the TV movie channels. Right, right. And I was watching The Hangover on Bravo. And it was just completely mutilated. It was like a mutilated yeah. corpse. They're cutting jokes left and right. They're bleeping stuff. And and yeah. it was like 40% of what the movie was, which the whole point of that movie was to cross some lines. And that era feels like it's gone now. Well, yeah, it seems like, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think, I think, um, I don't think it's the artists though. And I don't even think it's the fans. I think it's, I think it's corporate pressure. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's it's uh, studios kind of self censoring and self editing for this imaginary boogeyman of offended people that mm. in no way reflect what the movie going public wants to see or stand up going public wants to see. And I think that at some point somebody needs to be bold enough to say, you know what, we believe in this art as art, and we're going to put it out because we truly think it's funny, and that's what you want, right. not. It just kind of bend into Twitter pressure. It feels like it'll cycle back. You talked about it the first show of your new season, that damn Michael Che. You, yeah. you did a little um, stand-up thing about how the, being a comedian during cancel culture is actually like pretty exhilarating because you're, you're one step away from your careers over with every bit. It's exciting. I mean, to me, it's, <laughs> if you feel like you can say anything, then you will. You know, sometimes yeah. you need those. I think that's part of the reason why SNL is still relevant. You know, it's it's live and it's and it's network and there's rules and parameters and you know there's only a certain way we can shoot. And I think that's what kind of makes it exciting because at yeah. any moment something cool could happen. 
Might the maybe weird, not, but you know, it could theoretically. The show, it's such a weird thing now. Like I saw that first take sketch they did that got cut. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And it was from the dress rehearsal and it just goed. And then it, it kind of went viral two days later because Chris right. Red's Stephen A. Smith impersonation is just so, so perfect. So it's so good. <laughs> talking about whether hot dogs a sandwich or not. And it just made right. it made me think like you've all these cast members, you only have it's a 92 minute show, but you got 20 plus minutes of commercials in it and two musical acts. So you're really doing yep. like an hour of content and just like all the content that's left on the table that feels like it should be disseminated in some way. Well, thank God for YouTube. It, it is. But, yeah. but um, you know, it, the, watching the way that show was produced gave me a completely different you know, bias, but completely different appreciation for it. And, um, you know, we always go in long. We always, you know, and, and sometimes it's an either or, like there might be a, another sports casting thing or it might be another similar type vibe for another sketch and we don't want to put both of those. Or maybe the host will have a choice and they, they'll wanna, they'd want to. they rather do one thing or another. Or yeah. maybe, you know, whatever it is, maybe the set we can't get from one sketch to another because of the set. Or there's so many different moving parts that, make that show work or not work. And I remember, you know, when I was a kid, I'd watch SNL and always like the 10 to 1 sketches would be my favorite sketches. But, Me too. But, you know, in classic 10 to 1 fashion, sometimes they'd end so crazy and so abrupt and so weird. And I had no idea. It was because a lot of times we're editing the 10 to 1 while the show's on the air because we need to make up time, something spread or whatever. So now we have to cut out a part or now we have to get shape a minute out of a whole kind of rehearsed sketches. It's a very strange, you know, way to produce a show. But, it, you know, that's, again, like that to me is what makes it exciting, what makes it, you know, also exhausting. But it's, it's, it's what makes it fun. Everybody that comes to the show, everybody that comes to the show, even people like my friends that are like skeptical of the show, everybody that comes to see it, they're like, oh, I get it. This is crazy. You know, like it's just on the... Just from the crew perspective and just from the production perspective, how that show is put together is bonkers. It's it's really crazy. I went, I think, two thousand nine. Um, uh, I went, was, went back. Was, Seth, yeah. Seth, because Seth had been on my podcast a couple of times. He's like, "New, new, new, come." And uh, you I had was a just, podcast in two thousand nine. I had a podcast in two thousand seven. You're like uh, OG, OG. I was. Yeah, I had Seth was one of the first celebrities that came on because he would email me. And he right. would be he would be reacting. And it, the first year or so, it was a lot of me just talking to my friends about sports. And Seth's like, I want to come on and talk about the Steelers or something. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And then I had Sudeikis. I had a bunch of SNL people on from back then. I had Sudeikis. Sudeikis came over once and taped. Because um, we it, we didn't have a studio. So sometimes people come to my house. But yeah, so that when I went... Thing. <laughs> no, it was... And most of the time... When I'd have the people, they had never done a podcast before. So it was it was almost like the first time they'd been on a date. And right. we would just shoot the shit for an hour 10. And they'd be like, that was amazing. They don't realize <laughs> like, yeah, that's what every pod's like. Um, but when I went in 2009, I that was the production stuff was what, what was the staggered me. Because I've been watching the show my whole life. And just to see how fat, just things end. 20 people come out, all of a sudden things are moving and, and people are, the host is rushing off to change in two minutes. And um, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. So, so much of like, you know, you know, people's complaints about the show. I sometimes feel like if you knew how hard it was and why we had to make those types of decisions or whatever. And sometimes it, it's fair points, but also it's just like, 
it's a very difficult show to to put together in a week's time with somebody start with the with our star, somebody that we usually never met before and maybe yeah. has never done comedy before. You know, like in a lot of cases. So it's it's very strange and and we always love when when we get a break, when we get an alumni hosting or or somebody that's, you know, a live performer that can kind of get it, you know, but it, it's it's a tough, tough thing. Well, I remember Seth would say, you sometimes you get like the random actor or actress who's just amazing at it. Yeah. And like could have easily been a cast member and, and you just, you strike oil for that week because they just fit in and that's it. Totally. Like I remember we had, we had a, uh, uh, well, I guess Don Glover is a comedic actor, but I mean, when he was on, we was like, oh, you could have easily been in a cast. Or like Chance the Rapper. I thought I always thought, think his shows are really, really good. Yeah. Like, oh, he's, this guy could have been in the cast for sure. Or, you know, Justin Timberlake or, you know, whatever. Like, right. uh, uh, Ryan Gosling. You know, so there's a few people that you're like, oh, okay, this guy totally gets it and would be great. I thought Natasha the, on the, um, on the Saturday awesome. show, I thought she kind of seemed like she got it. She's she playing awesome. characters. Usually it's the people who can play different types of characters and they're not looking at the cue cards the whole time. That's when you kind of know. Yeah, she's a, she's a pro. She's been doing, you know, she's been a performer since she was a kid. So, right. you know, she's just like a showbiz kid. So that you don't have to worry about. But also, you know, she kind of just understands where, where the jokes are, why it's funny. She knows where to land. And yeah. she's naturally great. It's funny that Network TV is in such a bizarre place these days. Mm-hmm. And yet SNL is like kind of as omnipotent as it ever was. You know, I mean, I mean they're even running it in primetime on the West Coast, which they yeah. I, I think they started doing like three years ago because it's just going to do better than, you know, Chicago, <laughs> Chicago <laughs> paramedics or <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, I, I, don't, I never really like know the, the rating kind of thing or whatever. Like, I just, I, I never really follow that stuff i i just kind of know like you know what we like and what we don't like but you can you can feel the you can feel the the temperature when we get it right and when we get it wrong and that's yeah. kind of we know the, the relevancy of the show people whether they hate it or they love it they still care you know and i think that's hard to do in comedy especially well and then you had the situation this year where pete becomes as famous as the show from stuff, which I think that's, that's probably the first time that's happened with the show. Maybe, I I don't know, probably since like the 2000s. Like it felt like Will Ferrell, like his last year on the show, it just felt like he was an A plus list movie star who was also on the show. But Pete, like, Pete's like legitimately famous now, like in a a kind of crazy way. So when he pops on the show, it's like, oh my God. But it feels like we watched him grow up on the show. I mean, I remember his first season. Yeah, yeah, he's and uh, it's kind of a weird, it's kind of a weird thing now with you know him and eighty and and Kate yeah. and Kyle leaving. Uh, I mean, for me because I kind of came in with those guys, so yeah, that was your rookie class, you, sort of, you sort know, of, like, yeah, I, your generation I think, I think 80, class. Eighty and, and Kate were before me, but you know, yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I kind of known them my entire career, so to not have them is going to be weird. Well, I assume the show's going to be a lot different next year. I mean, I assume more people are going to leave because they, they're not going to have 20, even 19 people. That would be probably too many. I, not, I never know. I never yeah. know. It all comes down to one dude. 
<laughs> so I did a podcast in his office once and I, I think 2014. And yeah. it was awesome. Yeah. And uh it's what's cool about him is he really does remember a lot from all the seasons and all these yeah. lessons and he treats it it's like how I don't know some like coach K and Duke or whatever like some college coach that's been there for 40 years that kind of understands the cycle of who somebody is when they show up for the show yeah. how their life's going to change when they're on the show and when they hit these various career points that then affect how he has to manage them on the show I, th I thought that was the most interesting thing about talking to him but that's that's why I always say like it, it it's more like a college team than a you know anything because it, he's kind of the one constant the one mainstay and he needs he's gonna lose a Kate McKinnon he's gonna lose uh you know a Tina Fey he's gonna lose you know Bill Murray he's gonna lose all these yeah. huge stars and he still has to replenish and the show must go on kind of thing so it, it is kind of kind of ill to watch them work. Well, one thing that, I mean, the show is way more diverse than it was when you joined the cast. I think that's that's one thing that uh, I think you when you look back at some of the old seasons from the 80s and 90s, um, that was probably, I don't know. I mean, it's a smaller cast, I get it, but um, it seems like the, the, the show culturally can go in some different directions with the material now because they have the people. Yeah, I think diversity of comedy is an interesting thing because it's, uh, you know, some. I, I think we think of diversity. We, like when I first got there, I was like the only black writer, and right. I think and Jay and Keenan were the only black cast members, and we got Leslie and uh, La Kendra, and uh, it, 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 it was like. Uh, it took a while, and now it's like you said, like you know, the bigger cast makes more room for people. We've got—I don't even know who's on the cast anymore, but like we have, we have a ton of people. We got Bowen, you got Echo, yeah. you got Fred, you got Punky. It's a lot of different walks of life. It's not just oh, the black guy and the and the black lady. It's it's a lot of different takes and a lot of you know different types of comedians, which I think is kind of cool. There's some stand-ups in there. There's some you know, sketch performers, you know, there's some good writers. I, I think that's, that's the kind of diversity that I think makes it a little bit more exciting than just color and, and gender. Well, it also, I mean, the show for, since 1975 reflects pop culture, right? Yeah. And in a lot of cases becomes the barometer for, Hey, one of, I've said this before, but one of the things I love about the show is with the musical acts, especially in the hosts sometimes, but especially the musical acts, a lot of times it's like the highlight of this musician's career, or this band's career, right? Yeah. This is yeah. the biggest album they've ever had, or this is the time they broke through and the show catches them at that moment. And a lot of times it'll be with the host too, same thing where it's yeah, somebody, this is like, this is it. This one Netflix show they have, they're never going to be more famous than right here. And you know, I think with pop culture, because pop the whole pop culture landscape so diverse now, to not have SNL reflect that in some way would have been, I think, a weird choice. Like, think about music, like hip hop and rap and pop music now. Think about how diverse that stuff is. So how do you, you know, you need cast members that I think can reflect that in some way. So I, yeah, the show makes I, more sense I now, I think. I agree. And I, yeah, totally. And that's, and that's why you... 
That's why it's always good to constantly make room, I guess. Yeah. What did you feel like you could do with the HBO Max show that Curse. you couldn't do on SNL? <laughs> Curse for sure. Uh, yeah. You could just lock in. You know, SNL is a variety show. You got to, you know, it's not it's not your house. You get a little bit of real estate, you know, and, and that's about it. The, the stories you can tell in five minutes are different than the stories you can tell in 25, you know, and you can kind of cater and be more specific and target the audience a little bit. Uh, differently than SNL, you kind of got to compromise it somewhat for broader, because you, you're competing. Right. You're competing you make it more mainstream. other sketches you, for a live audience that's not necessarily there to see you or your stuff. Yep. So it's got to work for them. And streaming, you get a little more leeway. A lot more leeway. You get some swearing. You get some content leeway. Yeah, they they kind of let you they kind of let you cook, you know. It's a lot of fun. It's something that you know I I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to be a, a a glutton for it. I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want it to spoil me. But it is fun to kind of be like, all right, let's just say it plainly and not try to figure out what standards would let us get away with. Who's the best comic right now? Stand up. Yeah. Who has the championship belt right now? I mean. I, it's, it's hard, man. It's, that's tough. I mean, Dave is Dave, but, uh, you know, I I love Burr. I love watching Burr. Burr's playing Fenway Park. Burr is cooking. In August. I don't know how you play a baseball stadium. I can't wait to see how even they do the set for it. He's cooking, man. He's, he's a lot of fun to watch. He's, uh, he's one of the few guys that I'll, that wherever he is, I'll, I'll, I'll pop downstairs and check out what he's doing, man. Um, yeah, there's a fearlessness to him that he's had this whole decade that I think um, is really special. But yeah, him and him and Dave are on one right now, man. It's kind of it's kind of hard to choose, but those are those are my two favorites. Anybody? Uh, any up and comers? Yeah, any people it's, to watch. Um, I'm sure. Uh, Kevin Iso and Reggie Conquest were on on this show, which I, I love watching. You know, I love watching them. They're super funny. Um, you know, I, I still love, you know, uh Dan Soder and 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 Big J Okerson and hmm. I still love Mattel. You know, I love watching Mattel. You know, he's not an up and comer, but he's he's somebody that I don't think gets kind of put in that short list of the best comedians in the world. And he and he maybe should. We definitely should, you know. Um Yes, there's a. I can't think of everybody, but there's there's a ton of comedians that are really cooking right now. Do you think Michelle tic- Wolf? I always love Michelle Wolf. TikTok advantage or disadvantage with comedy? I think TikTok. Uh, TikTok doesn't bother me as much because at least it's usually clips from a live show, which I don't mind. Yeah. I think what bothers me a little bit more a podcast because it it changes the palette. I think when comedians uh, do too many podcasts, they're just talking and that's what people like. And then when you go to a stand-up show, like they're not really there for jokes. They're there for like gossip and you know what I mean? It's not, yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of it kind of hurts the palate for, for for comedy fans, I think. But TikTok seems fine. I thought I don't the, know much about TikTok, like honestly. Like we, I don't we just tried to do a TikTok and we were drunk and the network asked us <laughs> to, to delete it. And that was our that was our one TikTok experience. 
I don't understand it either. My kids are, I have a, a junior and an eighth grader and I'm just amazed and kind of astonished by how, uh, how dominant TikTok is for their that's attention. Their, yeah, that's, that's their, yeah, that's, that's their language. It's a, it's a weird thing. I don't, I haven't quite figured it out, but there's guys that are doing TikTok now and they're just selling out crazy numbers just because of their, their following on TikTok. I don't, I don't know how to do it. It's it like, seems like a higher energy. It's like, yeah, yeah, but be a little more like this and a little more yeah. uh, grab, grab the attention. It's super fast. It's, it's a bunch of cuts. It, it, it yeah. is it's a lot of like, but to me, I, I heard something early on in comedy that I think I've seen in a documentary about comedy. It was, it's kind of one of the things that seems to ring the, the truest and last the longest is at some point in comedy, you either go to the audience or the audience comes to you. Mm. Going to the audience means, you know, different avenues where the people are, the cruise ships or whatever. And audience is coming to you, meaning you do your thing and then they just follow. And I think TikTok is one of those things where people are going to the audience and they're, they're gearing their shit toward what these people already like and what they're kind of interested in. Yeah, the algorithm. Yeah, to the algorithm. That's the part that I'm not as interested in. My son will not, be. That is wrong. I'm just not interested. My son will come over to me with this phone and be like, "Dad, you should hire this, this basketball guy." And he'll yeah. show me the video, and the guy will be like, "Top ten, top ten dunkers right now. Number one, yeah. Jalen Green." And then yeah, they'll show yeah. the clip, and I'm like, We're, "I'm not hiring that person for a podcast. What are you talking about?" Yeah, who wants to listen to that for now? <laughs> this is zero for like a minute, I thought the the TikTok sketches were really good that SNL did though. Like my kids yeah. love those. I because it really captured a how dumb is. TikTok is, but b it really did feel like five minutes on TikTok. It was smart. Yeah, it it, it truly is. It's it's uh it's weird. It's a weird culture. What uh what level of sports fan are you? Huge. So so all the New York teams. Uh, I love the Niners. But yeah, all the New York. The Niners? I, yeah, I hate the Jets. I love the Niners. So the Jets drove you away from the East Coast teams and you had to get as no, far no, away I from them as possible? The Giants. I support the Giants. I like the Giants. I root for the Giants. I'm a Niners fan. I, I've been a Niners fan since I was, since I first, I think the first football game I actually watched was uh, the Niners Broncos Super Bowl. And I remember them Niners. Uh, Giants NFC Championship games. Mm. I, like I remember it being a huge deal, and I always just loved the Forty Nine. I just loved. I guess maybe it's probably the red and gold helmets and shit. But yeah. um, always loved the Niners. This it sounds like a bandwagon bandwagon jump a little bit. I don't know. Yeah, they need to get the bandwagon was, committee. Was five, you know. <laughs> <laughs> in a way, a lot of kids love the Warriors now. Yeah, like, you know, like I've them. always loved Steph Curry, even though I live in Kansas City. Yeah, it was just like it was just like uh, that. That's the team that appealed to me. But I never hated the Giants. I just I just liked the Niners. Um, yeah, the the Jets I hate. Um, that that's weird because people feel bad for the Jets, but they don't usually hate the Jets because they're kind of pathetic. Well, I hate the Jets because we used to go to Jets games when I worked at uh, a car dealership. We used to get free tickets and go to Jets games. And the Jets fans, I would always get into a problem with the Jets fans. Oh, so no. I, I, like, I just, I would always get into a problem with the Jets fans. It was like the most 
Oh, it was the worst. I hated it. I hated being in the stadium with Jets fans because they mm. were just the most obnoxious fans. So I'd never want them to be happy. But Knicks, still Knicks, Rangers, uh, and any and any boxer from New York I support. No Yankees bets. Yankees. Out. Yankees. Yankees. Yankees are back now. They Yankees did a staring contest with Aaron Judge. Yeah, it, it will. I, I look forward to a subway series. I was at the I was at a Rangers playoff game. And uh, and the Yankees was there, uh, DJ and and Rizzo and and Judge was there. I saw Judge catch a puck with his hands. It was crazy. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> seriously? Yeah, it was freaking nature, man. He just caught a puck. It was nuts. You know, we're taping this. It's like a little before noon East Coast time, and there mm-hmm. was just a story two hours ago about how Kevin Durant hasn't talked to Nets management since the season ended, and the breadcrumbs are now being laid for the Nets to completely blow up and. This whole two years ago of the Nets are going to take over New York. Listen, I was the only one, but I was one of the loudest being like, the, the Knicks are going to own New York. That's never changing. Good luck to the Nets, but uh, they were always going to be the Clippers in New York. And now it feels like we're heading that way. It's like it's like when the Mets got like Pedro and all those guys. And you're like, yeah, but they're not Yankees. It's not right. it doesn't matter. You know, like it's... It, this is a Knicks town. This is a Knicks town, even more than it's a Yankees town, I think. And I think right. it's a basketball city. I think the Knicks are the most important franchise in the city. And if we get a winner, it's it's a wrap. I mean, you see any energy of the garden just when we had that that one team with, with Derrick Rose hobbling out there. And I mean, I and God bless Derrick Rose, man. He gave us he gave us everything, man. What a what a I love that guy. He's one of my favorite. He's gonna be one of my favorite Knicks of all time. Just as how much he gave us when we needed it for that for that playoff run. Uh, but you know what's funny about that playoff run? Well, I think you lost in five to the Hawks. Yeah, and then they were like, "We got to bring it back," and they 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 paid all the guys to come back, and now they don't have cap space. Well, they. I think they tried to go. They tried to go crazy offense, and and it, it didn't. I think they lost their kind of defensive intensity, and what kind of made them what they were. Well, Rose broke down, which makes sense because he was in the two thousand eight draft. And then yeah, it's about that time. I don't know, know what happened to Julius Randle though. I didn't get that part. I didn't know, understand why he was unhappy and why he didn't play well, and why are there all these stories about he was being a weird teammate and. I didn't get that. Yeah, he's like yelling at the fans and stuff. Like yeah. That. Yeah. Because he, uh, he was so happy the year before. I don't know what changed. So they got to get him going. But I I, th- I think I think it's, you know, New York's not for everybody. You know, that, that city could be harsh, man. That, 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 that garden can be harsh. But Durant made a mistake not coming to New York. For whatever reason, it could have been worth it because he does. he's not happy in Brooklyn. They'll always be second tier. Kyrie... I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know why he wouldn't come to the Knicks. I remember I saw Blake and and uh, at a party, and we were talking about it. And I was like, "The Knicks," and he's just looking at me like, "You're an idiot." The Knicks are not going to do anything, right? <laughs> but you know, whatever. Well, I think they they were had hit such rock bottom that they couldn't even convince these guys to come who wanted to be in New York. Like Durant wanted to leave Golden State, come to New York. And he didn't even, they, their star had fallen so dramatically. I mean, they, they would have years where they couldn't even get meetings with the free agents. I don't and They're understand. the Knicks. I don't understand. I don't, I, I don't think that's the case anymore. No, I and, think it's getting fixed. Yeah, I think yeah, they've done an okay job of at least they're back in the mix a little. 
they keep talking about Dame. They keep talking. They're talking about a spider. You know, like we never know. We get one or two really, really good players. It, it, it changes the culture a little bit. What about I, Zion? What about rolling the dice on Zion? I'm always worried as a Knicks fan of signing a guy after big injuries, just because yeah. we got burned so often with because it's happened thirty Harry times Johnson. to the Knicks. Yeah. You know, we always it always feels like we get the bargain. We get the bargain barrel guy that we want. You know, like. We, we had a chance to get Reggie Miller, I think, one time. We got Allen Houston. Not that Allen Houston was bad, but yeah. was like, well, get Reggie Miller. It's Reggie Miller, you know, but uh, I don't know. I just feel like sometimes we don't get the guy. We get a close version of a guy, you know? Like, we didn't get Durant. We got Julius Randle. You know? like, By the way, that, that's been almost 50 years of the Knicks. Really, since right. SNL started. You're going back to, yeah. like, Spencer Haywood and Bob McAdoo right. and right. all these dudes. Right, You're right. catching them two years too late, three years too late, or two yeah. years too early. It's never at the actual... Bernard King was, like, the only time they caught yeah. a guy at the perfect time in his career. And Mello, and Mello. Yeah. We got, we got... Yeah, Mello okay. played his best years in New York. Yeah, that's fair. 2013, he was really good. He was when, great. Uh, I don't. I still don't know how they lost to Indiana when Roy. It was like the Roy Hibbert. It was the peak of Roy Hibbert, and all of a sudden uh, they were going home. Well, they were built. I don't know if you remember, but they were built to beat Miami. Right. And Indiana was like the complete opposite. They was like this big kind of bruiser team, and we never even got to Miami. I think they were. I think they were built to run with Miami, and that would have been fun to watch. But dumb Indiana gets in the way. With Roy I remember, Hibbert. I was doing TV that year. And I remember we were doing segments about Knicks or Heat. Who do you, you know, who do you have? Yeah. Because they, they got, after the All-Star break, they got red hot. They were like 40% from three. Yeah. They were, it was like a little early small ball in some ways. Yeah. And, yes. And, uh, and it was like, oh my God, Knicks Heat, it's going to be amazing. And then Roy Hibbert spoiled the party and Paul George. Paul George supported the hell out of that party. And I was, it was crazy because I was working in Indiana that weekend. And it was the it was just I was in Indianapolis doing shows, and the the Knicks were losing to the Pacers, and it was the Indy Five Hundred. Hmm. And uh, needless to say, the shows were not sold out. Oh was, no! Yeah, yeah, it was a rough weekend to be doing anything other than sports. Yeah, uh, that's always tough. Kimmel and I did that once. We went back to Boston to do this show, and we I and it's my fault, but it was like the Saturday of a Red Sox playoff game. Yeah. When we were back there, and I was like, oh my God, how did, how did yeah. we allow this to happen? You're just not, I, you're not winning any time against sports and the sports towns. No, I, I went to a, uh, it was a, a Vikings. I went to, I was in Minnesota doing shows on a Saturday and that Saturday night game was a playoff game between the Vikings and the Packers. That must have been oh. like 2012 or 13 or something like that. And people were actually getting up in the show to go check the score. It was brutal. Ouch. Like, yeah, no one gave a damn. Um, all right. That damn Michael Che. Thank Thursday you so night. Yeah. HBO Max. Yeah. Season two. You can also... Yeah. I like the HBO Max app. Um, I love it. You can go back and you can check out the season one episodes if you missed it. And then... I guess you're coming back to SNL, but you, you're going to do the Tom Brady thing. I just, just milk it. Start lots of rumors. You might go to other shows. Like, hey, just keep your name in the, in the news. Yeah, but I don't know. I, maybe somebody drops off a, a duffel bag with a couple of 20s in there, you know, just to kind of 
you know, make my decision a little easier. You never know. All right. Good luck. Good to, good to finally meet you. <laughs> Very nice to meet you. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. That's it for the podcast, produced as always by Kyle Creighton. Thanks to Dylan Berkey and Steve Cerruti as well. We are going to be back, I think, on Friday night, potentially, uh, for the end of game six. Hopefully, it will be wor- podcast worthy. So, planning on doing a Friday night pod, unless for some reason the game is just a disaster. So, see you then. Stay safe, please. I'm gonna see them on the way, sir.